Well, let's uh, jump into our message this morning. We're, we're still in our series, First Steps, Lessons from Acts. Um, I've got one more lesson next week I'm going to do from Acts, and then I'm going to start a series on the minor prophets. So we'll look forward to that. Um, today, First Steps, Lessons from Acts, First Doctrinal Adjustments. First Doctrinal Adjustments. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 26, and 19 verse 1 through 7. So we'll be in chapter 18 and 19 of the book of Acts. If you want to, again, they'll be on the screen, uh, but they won't stay up there the whole time, so open up your Bibles or on your phones so you can have that ready and be referring to it. Have you ever made a, uh, had to make an adjustment in the way you think about something? Uh, have you ever changed your opinion on a subject or realized that that's something you always understood to be one way, you discovered really is another way, and you had to adjust how you thought or an opinion or how you felt about something. And when Jackie and I first moved to Wilson in 1990, uh, we started learning all about the city of Wilson. Um, now, we had been coming here to church for nine years uh, before that, when we lived in Goldsboro, and then later when, we, when I was going to school in Elizabeth City, we came on the weekends. But we didn't really start learning about Wilson until we actually moved here in 1990. Now, one of the things we learned when we started learning was that there were three public high schools in Wilson County. There was Fike, Hunt, and Bedingfield. Uh, we moved to Gina Court, right over here by the Stone's Throw, the same apartment that the Boykins lived in after us uh, in, in, the, in Gina Court over there which happened to be, at that time, in the Hunt District. Uh, so if we were to stay in that area, our boys, uh, when they got old enough, would eventually go to Hunt High School. It also seemed like, at the time, most of the kids here at Stony Brook went to Hunt. Now, not all of them, but it seemed like most of them did, uh, like the Williamses and the Bostons and the, the Zaluskis and the Hendrickses. Um, and, of course, they always viewed Hunt as the better high school uh, than of the three. And, and so the impression that I got in those early years when we first moved here was that Hunt was where all the cool kids went. Uh, it, it was more sophisticated. Uh, their sports teams were better. So early on, I decided, now if any of y'all had five kids, hold on, hold on. Um, <clears throat> So early on, I decided that I liked Hunt High School, and I was excited that my boys were going to go there. But then we moved. <laughs> we moved to Branch Street. Uh, Chris and Jason had to change school districts, which now put them on track to go to Fike High School. And at first, I was, I'll tell you, I was disappointed about that. I really was. I was looking forward to cheering for my sons uh, if they might play on a Hunt High School sports team. Um, but this was not to be. This was not to be. My sons would go to Fike High School. So eventually, in 1996, Chris entered Fike High School as a freshman. Uh, he was in the band and was on the wrestling team that first year. Jack and I got involved in band boosters at Fike, and we went to wrestling matches. I'd never been to a wrestling match before, learned to love it. 
Soon, I began to see, you know what, my perception of Wilson High Schools wasn't exactly accurate. (laughs) There were actually cool kids that went to Fike. Even a lot of sophisticated ones. Fike had a very long tradition of being a great school. Uh, For years, they were the big dog school in the county. You know, Hunt and Bedingfield were relatively new schools at the time compared to Fike. Fike had a a great tradition of championship football teams. They won three-time state champions in the late 60s. It didn't take me long to drop my loyalty to Hunt High School, and I became a diehard Fike High School fan. And in the six years that our boys were in high school, not only did I cheer loudly for Fike, I'll have to admit, I came to despise Hunt. <laughs> yes. When, when, Fike, when Fike football, when the Fike football team or soccer teams, and my son played on the soccer team, as did the coffee son, um, uh, man, and, and they began to dominate Hunt in the late 90s. Uh, for the first time since probably the early 80s. The, the fight nation was on top of the world, weren't they? In just a few short years, I did a complete 180 as a Wilson County High School fan, changing from a hunt fan to a fight fan. And of course, the reason for the change, the adjustment in school loyalty, was not really because of the school at all, no. No, it was because my sons went there. <laughs> it's funny how that works, isn't it? I, I love my sons, and so naturally I came to cheer for their school. Sometimes in life it becomes necessary to make adjustments in the way that we think, the things that we cheer for, the things that we believe, or our interests and our passions. They, they have to be adjusted in life. Sometimes that happens because of our kids, like with, with my experience. Sometimes it happens because, um, you know, we get older and our interests change. Sometimes adjustments happen because we discovered that things we we, stu- we discovered things we didn't understand before, we we didn't uh, 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 hadn't hadn't learned before. Our, our eyes get opened to a clearer picture that leads to a change in the way that we think or the way that we understand. That's a part of life. Now this can happen also in our walk with God as well. You know, as we grow in Christ and study God's Word more deeply, um, often we learn things about things like doctrine and attitudes and behavior, um, uh, lifestyles that maybe we didn't know before. How could we until we studied God's Word more? And as a result, uh, when we see those, those, uh, we learn more, we, we make adjustments, whatever is necessary, so that we can be more in line with God's will. Our lives. So, as we read the New Testament book of Acts uh, during this series, we we see this happen to several people in chapters 18 and 19. The Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey to share the gospel of Jesus in in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, um, uh, Macedonia, and Greece, which is part of the the nation of Greece now. Um, including the important Roman city of Ephesus, which is in uh, western Turkey, or western Asia Minor. Now here in Ephesus, Paul brought his new friends, Aquila and Priscilla, 
uh, that he had met in Corinth. He brought them with him to Ephesus. And after he had worked there for a little while, he left Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus and began making his way back home uh, to uh, Jerusalem and, uh, and, and Antioch, um, only to set out again on a third missionary journey. He just, he just touched base and he went right out again on a third missionary journey, eventually making his way all the way back to Ephesus. So let's, watch, see, let's see what happened to Paul when he arrived back at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. You know, after leaving Corinth, we have our map again today. Um, the purple line is the second missionary journey. So he left Corinth, went to Ephesus. And then he made his way back to Jerusalem and back up to Antioch. Um, so after he had um, uh, gone back home, he made his way back, working his way through some of the, the churches that he had worked out before. Um, uh, he eventually made his way back to Ephesus, where he encountered there an adjustment that needed to be made in the understanding of some of those believers that were there in Ephesus when he arrived back. Now, in order to understand what was, what was going on with these believers, uh, we, let's go back just a little bit to chapter uh, 18 and see uh, what happened to a man named Apollos, who was in Corinth but had made his way now to Ephesus before Paul got there. He was in Ephesus. Apollos um, uh, was as he encountered Aquila and Priscilla, it was discovered that he had something that they, he needed to adjust. Let's look at it, Acts 18, 24 through 25. Meanwhile a, man, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, Apollos uh, became one of the most famous early Christian uh, leaders of the first century, maybe second only to the Apostle Paul. Uh, uh, there's much spoken of Apollos, and he, did, and he, and he had some writings. They're, they're not a part of Scripture because he wasn't an, ap an apostle of Jesus, uh, but he was a, a, a great and noted Christian leader of the first century. Uh, when we're introduced to him, we see that uh, he's very knowledgeable uh, of Scripture. Now, it's the Old Testament because the, the New Testament hadn't been uh, written and distribu distributed yet and compiled, but he was very knowledgeable of the Old Testament Scripture. He was a great speaker who seemed to know a lot about Jesus. He had learned about Jesus from somewhere. Um, however, somewhere along the way, he had gotten he had not gotten an accurate teaching about Christian baptism. Now, while he was teaching most things correctly about Jesus, he was misguided about baptism. He was teaching John the Baptist's baptism, not Christian baptism, which turns out to be an extremely important thing, as we'll see here. 
You know, there's a difference between John the Baptist's baptism and Christian baptism. You know, way back when Jesus was getting ready to start his ministry, uh, John the Baptist, or, or baptizer, uh, John didn't go to a Baptist church. Uh, that, that just means he was a baptizer, John the baptizer. Um, uh, way back when Jesus was, was starting his ministry, um, John the Baptist was traveling around, uh, calling his fellow Jews to repent, to turn back to God and repent, um, to renew their commitment to God. In addition, he was calling on the people to get prepared for the Lamb of God, to get prepared for the Messiah who was coming. So John the Baptist was, was preparing the way for Jesus by calling people to repent. We read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, uh, John said to the people, One day I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, John would call those who came to listen to him uh, to repent, uh, to, to turn back to God, which is uh, what repentance means, uh, and to be baptized uh, in, in water, to be washed in water. They were immersed. Uh, the baptism was, was nothing more than a sign that they had made this commitment to turn back to God. It was a symbol of repentance for them. Uh, these people were Jews who were committing their lives to God through John's teaching. They were not becoming Christians at that time. They could not have been Christians because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet and he hadn't risen from the grave yet. The first Christians came after uh, Jesus rose from the grave, and not before. So they, they weren't becoming Christians. They were just dedicating themselves back to God. Now, once Jesus did that, died on the cross, rose from the grave, those who wanted to follow God were called to put their faith in Jesus as their Savior. And on the very first day of the church, way back in Acts chapter 2, we talked about it several weeks ago, the apostle Peter instructs the crowd there who were listening to him to, to put their faith in Jesus uh, and, and told them what they should do if they were going to make Jesus their Savior. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. When the people heard this, the message, the gospel of Jesus, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So like John the Baptist, Peter also calls the people to repent and be baptized. But this time it was different. This time it was different. This time when they repented and were baptized, two things happened to these people that didn't happen to those uh, who, who were baptized by John. This time when they repented and were baptized, their sins would be forgiven and they would be given the Holy Spirit to live inside of them. And of course, this could only happen after uh, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Um, this did not happen to those that John baptized. It couldn't. It couldn't happen because Jesus had not died for their sins yet. John's baptism, baptism was just simply an, an outward symbol of a commitment 
that the people would make in their hearts to turn back to God. And simple as that. Now, Christian repentance and baptism, what Peter called those very first believers to do and all those that came after, became the time and the place when God's grace and our faith come together. uh, And there God forgives us of our sins and he gives us the Holy Spirit. Um, Again, there must be a time and the place, the moment. When was the moment that my sins were forgiven? Uh, God gave us that moment. It was at our baptism. Peter tells us that that it's, it's when those who believe in Jesus repent, turn back to God, and are baptized. That's that moment. We'll also see that here, that here in Acts chapter 19 as well, with, with Apollos and those other believers there. Christian baptism is not just a symbol. It's not just a symbol. Uh, it's not just an outward showing of our inner faith. Now, it is a symbol. It is a symbol, very much. It's a symbol of washing, uh, of washing our sins away. The water doesn't literally wash our sins away, but it's a symbol of washing. Acts chapter 22, verse 16, describes it that way. It's a symbol of a death, burial, and resurrection. We're literally buried in water and raised up uh, to new life. Romans 6, verse 1 through 4, describes it that way. But it's more than just a symbol. It's the time and the place, again, that God's grace and our faith come together and God gives us forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, as good as John's baptism was in helping people get focused and refocused on serving God, Jesus' baptism, or baptism into Christ, um, uh, goes much farther than just that. It's the time and the place where our salvation happens. So, if that's true, now if that's true, uh, it is vital, don't you think, that this doctrine be taught accurately. Somewhere along the line, Apollos had been taught inaccurately. We don't know where he learned it all from, but uh, uh, for some reason, the only baptism he had had known and heard about was John's baptism. he had come from the city of Alexandria, which is uh, in northern Africa. Um, and there was no New Testament, as we've said before. There was, you know, he, he couldn't just pull out the New Testament and, and, and read and see if what he believed and understood was correct and matched the Word of God. He didn't have the New Testament available. In fact, basically what he had was just verbal teaching from, from people. Uh, who, whether it was one of the apostles or, or uh, someone that was sent by an apostle, all he had was verbal teaching. And, and, and with only verbal teaching to rely on, uh, it would be fairly easy to miss something. Maybe you, you, your mind drifted, you know, at that moment, or, or you misunderstood something, or maybe the teacher didn't include everything he should have. Um, somewhere along the line, Apollos missed the doctrine of Christian baptism. In fact, we'll see in chapter 19 that he likely also missed the teaching of who the Holy Spirit was, uh, that he was available to live in us as followers of Jesus because, you know, those that, that perhaps Apollos taught in Ephesus uh, or maybe one of his, his disciples had taught, they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit too, and we'll see that that they also had not had Christian baptism either. Thankfully, um, 
Paul's ministry partners who had been in Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla, when they arrived in Ephesus uh, and met Apollos, uh, they, as they listened to him teach, and it sounds like he was a great teacher and really knew scripture, but when they listened to him teach, they discovered uh, what he lacked in his understanding of doctrine. So verse 26 of chapter 18, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately, more adequately. Now, notice that they didn't uh, rebuke him and, and you know, stand up in his class. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you, you got it messed up. No, didn't rebuke him, didn't correct him in public. No, they just simply invited him to their home and gently explained the more adequate understanding of the doctrine of baptism. Um, what they had learned from the Apostle Paul or whether, wherever they had learned um, uh, their understanding. And from that point on, Apollos' fervor for Christ, which he already had, now included an accurate understanding of baptism. He now understood that, you know, as good as John's baptism was uh, of simple repentance as a follower of Jesus, he needed to be baptized into Christ you know, as after this, Apollos went to Corinth to begin teaching there, uh, and that was the backstory of what Paul found on his second arrival in Ephesus. So let's read that again in a little bit more. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7. <clears throat> While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? What baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after uh, him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they, these these. Uh, men that uh, Paul encountered, were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, these disciples that Paul encountered there could have been, maybe likely had been, taught by Apollos, or maybe one of uh, Apollos' disciples before Apollos uh, understood a more accurate understanding of baptism. And so, like Apollos, they had only heard of John's baptism, and they had not heard anything about the Holy Spirit at all. So, as Aquila and Priscilla had done, Paul then explained the way of God more adequately to these men. And when they understood, they were all baptized in the name of Jesus. So verse 6 and 7 are interesting because it appears that these disciples, when they received the, uh, uh, then received the Holy Spirit, when Paul laid his hands on them, um, Peter said in Acts chapter 2 that you received the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. Here, Paul laid his hands on, him, on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So which is it? Is it when an apostle lays his hands on you, or is it at your baptism? Well, I think it can be both, or is, or was both at that time. 
Um, every believer, according to what Peter said, every believer who repents and is baptized receives the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. But in the first century, before, again, the New Testament was available, before you had your Bible and you, you could just open up and, and find the truth of God there, God allowed the apostles uh, of Jesus to give some Christians an extra portion of the Holy Spirit in the form of miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues and interpretation of those tongues, prophesying, the ability to perform miracles, to heal sicknesses. We read in Acts 8, 18 how that happens. Here, when Paul laid his hands on these believers, they were able to speak a different language or different languages miraculously and prophesy or preach or proclaim truth. Miraculously, they had the ability to proclaim, to prophesy and proclaim truth. Now, this was important uh, because you didn't have the Bible. And so God gave certain individuals, starting with the apostles, and then those that they laid their hands on, the ability to proclaim truth. And therefore, you, you could know, you could trust them with what they said and what they taught. So these believers went, this is kind of interesting, from having an inaccurate understanding of baptism and the Holy Spirit to having the miraculous ability to speak the truth. Now, if you were to ask me, what's the most important characteristic of a Christian? Uh, without hesitation, I would say love. That's the most important characteristic of any follower of Jesus. It's love. And, and, and the reason I can say this is because that's what Jesus said. <laughs> you know, Jesus said in the two great commandments, Matthew 22, 34 through 40, when someone asked him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus just said, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, everything else revolves around those two commandments. Those are the most important things to God. Love God, love people. Uh, Jesus also said in John 13, verse 34 through 35, uh, that people will, they'll recognize you as a follower of Jesus, uh, not by what church you attend or uh, by what you wear or what doctrine you believe or teach. No, they'll recognize you as a follower of Jesus by the way you love one another. That's the defining characteristic of a Christian, the most important. But while love trumps everything... It's also important for us as Christians that we have the best understanding possible uh, that we can have of who God is and what God's will is for our lives. It's important for us to understand that and what God's will is for his church. You know, we might call that understanding doctrine. doctrine. Doctrine is a set of ideas or beliefs that are taught or believed to be true. A set of ideas or beliefs that are taught or believed to be true. Now, God has a set of beliefs and ideas that are his truths. And uh, God wants us to seek and to know those truths uh, and to practice them and to understand them. And where do we find those truths? It's in God's word. In fact, that's the only place we can find them is in God's word. 
No longer do people have their miraculous gift of speaking the truth anymore, which is an additional truth to what we read in God's Word. The truth we have today is found in one place, God's Word. Uh, you and I as Christians, you know, we don't have the freedom to just believe whatever we want to believe. Well, I guess we have the freedom to do it, but, you know, God, God doesn't allow us to just, just believe, just do whatever you want to do, just practice whatever you want to practice and believe. No, there are certain things that every Christian should agree on based on God's Word. Things like, who's the creator of the universe? God. God is the creator. Uh, and, and His Son is Jesus. Um, he's the Messiah. He's our Savior. He was born of a virgin. He died on the cross. He rose on, from the grave on the third day. His church is His instrument of how to share the gospel to the world. And that's just a few of, of the truths from God's Word that every Christian should agree upon. And, and the way we find our agreement uh, is not from some discussion group that we have at a meeting. Uh, the way we find our agreement is by simply studying and seeking to understand the Word of God. Uh, because that's where truth is found. I think this statement is true, having said that. No one has a total and complete and perfect understanding of all of God's Word. Um, none of us uh, have a perfect understanding of all of the doctrines found in the Bible. Now, I think we probably agree on 99% of them. You know, we're, we're, you know the, the agreement is pretty high up there. But I would imagine that in a group like this, in a group like this, there, there are some doctrines that we might have different understandings of based on maybe the, what we were taught or our understanding or what, the way we interpret something. But while none of us have a perfect understanding of God's will, uh, word, I, I think God wants us to never stop, never stop trying to improve our understanding uh, and asking God to help us understand more and better what his truth is. And if along the way we find that something we were taught growing up or at our home church, or along the way in our walk with Christ, was inaccurate, it's important for us to make adjustments to that and adopt, like, like Apollos, the more accurate way, the more adequate way. Now, it certainly was for Aquila and Priscilla and the Apostle Paul and the doctrine of baptism and the Holy Spirit that was taught in Ephesus. It was important to them that, that those things be understood correctly because it may have affected the people's salvation uh, and whether or not the Holy Spirit was even a part of their lives. It was important that they understand it correctly. Now, I know for many, and I know this is true for me, you know, when you come across a doctrine that is different from what you always had known and understood, you know, from what your parents taught you or from what your grandparents taught you. Uh, it's sometimes difficult to say something like, you know, all these years I have, I've had an inaccurate understanding of this. You know, it, it's hard to say that. You know, all these years I, I've had an inaccurate understanding of this. It's, it's hard to say that because it's very difficult to think that our parents or our grandparents or another Christian that, that taught us was not accurate. Uh, 
it's, they just taught us what they understood, but, but it wasn't accurate. Now, if you've struggled with that, remember, no one has it perfect. No one has it perfect. Not me, not our elders, not our parents, not our grandparents. You know, our parents, our grandparents taught us what they were taught, what they knew, what they understood, you know, and that's all of us. That's all that any of us can do, right? That's all we can do is teach what we know and what we understand. But at the same time, let's never stop learning and growing. Apollos was one of history's greatest Christian leaders. One of history's greatest Christian leaders. Yet, he needed to be taught a more accurate understanding of one of God's truths. Baptism. And after he learned it, okay, he went off with that. He went off with his better understanding. You know, a lot of things are more important than to get right than which high school is the best in a county. <laughs> That's Fike, of course, but uh, it's... Uh, actually, since my kids have graduated, I don't really care that much anymore. Uh, but uh, at the time, it seemed important. A lot, of, a lot of things are more important than that, aren't there? One of the things that's important, more important than that is God's will for our life. What is God's will for our life? So here's a challenge for me and for you. Let's be willing to take all that we've learned in our lives, all that we understand in our lives about God and our walk with God, and let's be willing to then take that and compare it to God's Word. To God's Word. And if doing that, if doing that, we understand that, you know, this isn't accurate, really. This isn't accurate. No matter who taught it to us. Remember, they were just teaching what they knew. They were teaching what they understood. They had our best interest in mind when they taught that. But if we see that it's not accurate, no matter who taught it to us, let's, let's be willing to embrace the more accurate from God's Word. Maybe it's an adjustment in a doctrine, like baptism. You know, maybe when you were young and even an infant or, or an adult, uh, you were sprinkled as a baptism. Uh, a little water was sprinkled on top of your head. That's what your parents knew. That's what they understood. That's what your church understood, and that's what was done. But then you take that and you compare it to God's Word, and you see, you know what? In the New Testament, among those early Christians, everyone who was baptized was immersed. They were immersed in water and then brought up out of the water. That's what the word baptism actually means in, in the Greek. And it's, it, again, it's a beautiful symbol of a death, burial, and resurrection. That's why God chose immersion as the mode of baptism. So you, you compare that and you, you see, well, th- that's, this is more accurate. And, and you say, you know what? I'm going to do the more accurate. I'm going to be immersed. Maybe you were baptized as, a, as an infant, as a, as a baby, uh, because that's what your parents understood. That's what they were taught. Um, and, you know, and it was a beautiful ceremony where, it, depending on which church you went to, maybe it was to wash your sins away, or maybe it was just to dedicate you to the Lord. Uh, and that's what your parents were taught or your grandparents were taught. A beautiful ceremony of dedication to the Lord. And that was your baptism. 
But then you take that and you compare it to God's Word, and, and you see, you know what? Every single person in the Bible, in the New Testament that was baptized, was someone who made the decision themselves to be baptized. It wasn't a decision made by their parents. Each individual chose to do that when they were ready. Uh, remember, it's in, in baptism, it's God's grace and our faith, not our parents' faith, but our faith come together uh, where forgiveness and the Holy Spirit comes. And so if, you, if, you, if that's you and you, you, know, you come together with the Scripture and you go, you know what, I, I, I need to make that decision to be baptized um, and, and take that step, make that adjustment. Maybe you were taught that baptism was just a symbol. It's just a symbol. You know, it's important, but it's, you know, it's not that important. Or, or you got the impression that it wasn't that important, and so you never have been baptized because uh, it's just a symbol. And so you put that beside Scripture. You, you know, in, in Scripture, it, was, it seemed to be a lot more than just a symbol because every single person that became a Christian were, was immediately baptized when they decided to make Jesus their Savior. And so make that adjustment. Uh, if, if you see a more accurate way, don't be afraid to make an adjustment, whether it's that doctrine or, or any other doctrine. Um, take, let's take them all and compare them to God's Word. Is, is it accurate? Maybe it's an attitude adjustment or a behavioral adjustment that you need to make. You know, you've always felt, you know, that it's okay to hold a grudge against someone. I mean, they deserve it, right? Right? After what they did to me. Um, you, you, you've always ha believed it's okay to withhold grace or forgiveness or love uh, from somebody because they don't deserve it. Uh, and maybe they don't deserve it. Uh, but you believe, you know, I, I, you justify that. You know, that, that's kind of what you were taught. Maybe that was the example that were, you were shown uh, in your life. But then you compare that to God's Word. And you're reminded in God's Word that, you know, God gave us those things, grace, love, forgiveness to us, even though we didn't deserve it. And so you see, you know, I need to make that adjustment, even though it's difficult. I need to forgive that person. I need to give them some grace. I need to love my enemy. Um, because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Make that adjustment. Apollos and those Christians in Ephesus <clears throat> learned that being a follower of Jesus often involves being willing to make adjustments as we grow in our walk with Christ. May we be willing to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I'm so thankful you gave us your word, Lord, we, we would certainly be lost. There's no telling what, what your church would be if there was no written word. Uh, we'd, we'd be all uh, without knowledge. And so thank you for giving us your word. And we can go to it and we can, we can open it up and we can see this, this is what you want for our lives. And it's not all crystal clear and sometimes we have discussions about it and interpretation uh, challenges, but uh, for the most part, we can see it, and it's very clear. And so help, it, help that to be important to us, to make our lives, our, our walk, and our lives, and our doctrine um, compare and match up to your word. Thank you for it, Lord. Uh, may we be students of God's word, because that's how we can know whether or not we're in your will. Thank you, Father, for this story, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.